0: Colossians chapter 1, uh, beginning with verse 3. Colossians 1, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Let's pray. Oh, God, you are, are so glorious. Highly exalted in, in majesty and in power and glory. God, who are we that you give us this privilege every Lord's Day to sit at your feet and let you teach us and instruct our hearts. Oh, God, we thank you for this glorious privilege. And pray that, that we would listen. But Lord, you know, Satan wants to distract us. There's so many things that, that are in our lives, so many things that are in our minds. But we are praying for your Holy Spirit, God, to come and to, to be with us. Especially in this time to teach and to instruct us. To fill us up with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, if, I know we're in Colossians 1, but if you turn over to Colossians 4, verse 2, uh, Paul urges the Colossian believers, he says this, continue steadfastly in prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, now, Uh, Paul is a man who practices what he preaches, is he not? He's not just telling the church to do this, but this is what he does as well. Uh, Not only in this uh, letter to the Colossians, but as we saw in Corinthians, and if you look at the other epistles that he writes, and most all of those he begins with just a time of thanksgiving, which we looked at that prayer last week. Uh, But today, Paul's going to turn his attention to the request and and the things that he is praying for, for the Colossians. Um, And as he prays, he's not afraid uh, to make it his business uh, to be definite in his request for other people. And he does so from the moment that he hears that there is evidence of the work of the Spirit of God in their hearts. And the best picture I could think to describe this, brothers and sisters, is if you think back to Mark chapter 4. And Mark 4 is the parable of the sower, or some refer to it as the parable of the seed, right? And, and Jesus talks about how the Word of God is spoken, and it falls on different kinds of hearts, uh, different kinds of people. And you know with well, many of it, the Word is like gone. It's either choked out or it's snatched away or whatever. But the good soil, when the Word of God is planted in the good heart, the good soil... Then it begins to grow, bearing fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. And so just imagine, if you would, the Apostle Paul hearing that the word of the gospel was preached. And guess what, people? It took root. It started growing. Now, I don't know if any of you guys here have gardens or plants or anything like that. You know, I am not a great gardener. So when I see that little plant coming up, I am Ecstatic. I'm like, "Yes, keep going, you can do it. you know And that's sort of what the Apostle Paul was like when he, when he began to see that little shoot of faith, and then he heard of the love that the saints had for one another, and the hope that they had in Christ oh, he just couldn't help but pray. and not only to praise God, but also to pray for these saints as well. Now, before we get to the specifics of, of how he prayed, I want us to look down at verse nine and, and see that he writes, And so, okay? And and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased, or we have not stopped to pray for you. Now Some translations, if you might have a different one than the ESV that I'm reading out of, if you have the New American Standard or the New King James Version or something like that, it may say, for this reason from the day we heard. Okay, because of what I've already shared before, in light of the evidence that that God is working salvation in your heart, we not only offer prayers of thanksgiving for you, but we also uh, offer up our petitions for you as well. But notice that Paul's requests for the Colossians are linked to his prayers of thanksgiving in verses 3 through 7. Let me see if I can explain what I mean by that about their link together. The the kinds of things that Paul gives thanks for in verses 3 through 7 are also the things that occupy his petitions as well. They, they are the things for which Paul asks uh, his petitions. Look at verse 5, the, the end of it. It says, you have heard the gospel, right? The, the gospel, the word of truth from Epaphras, right? They, they've heard this gospel. And so what does Paul pray in verse 9? But he prays asking, you know, you've received the gospel. That's great. But may you be filled with with the knowledge of his will. In other words, great you received the gospel, but I want you to have it more. You know, Paul Paul does this over and over again in his letters. I mean think about his letter to the Thessalonican church, to the Thessalonians. He says in uh first Thessalonians chapter four, verses nine and ten, he says, Now brothers no excuse me, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed is what you are doing uh, to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. And so he talks about their love. He talks about how uh, it is there. God has taught them. And as a matter of fact, they see evidence of that, not just in their church, but just even as they're loving other Christians. But then he goes on. And he says in chapter 3, verse 12, and he says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So in other words, you are loving, and that's great, but I'm praying that you'll love even more. And so Paul is praying for the continuation of what he's already doing. Now, for a believer to do this, though, for, them, for, for their petitions to sort of flow out of their prayers of thanksgiving it's necessary for us to give prayers of thanksgiving, right? And I'm not suggesting in any way that we're not believers that don't give thanksgiving to God. I know we do. But, you know, we, we have to, in order to give thanksgiving to God, we have to have our eyes towards those things that God is doing in the lives of other people. I mean, also in our own lives as well. But we have to have eyes that are looking to see where God is at work and what he is doing. Where do we see faith? Where do we see love? Where do we see that hope that that the Bible talks about? But let's just be honest, brothers and sisters. Or maybe I'm just confessing my own sins. I don't know. But isn't it sometimes difficult to give God thanksgiving? Isn't it difficult to sort of slow down long enough to do that? It just doesn't seem to quite come as naturally as just asking for things, okay? Now, you know, oftentimes you say that uh, a man tries to fix his wife and a wife tries to change her husband, you know? Both are a bad idea, right? You know, I understand that. But in some ways, you could almost say that we as Christians like to fix things. You know, uh, if you ask somebody to pray, uh, they're like, okay, that's fine. What's wrong? what needs to be fixed who's sick who's lost their job well who's struggling in their relationship which child in the church has gone wayward that we can pray for them these are things that we feel very comfortable to do tell me what to do but if i say pray for mark you're like okay well what do i need to pray for mark tell me you know and then i can pray uh, and think about it in our own practice of prayer when, when do we pray more when things are going well or when things are going badly when, when there's illness in our lives or in someone else we know or where there's financial uh, pressure or maybe there's a moral failing or there's dissension in the t- church or there's a difficult decision or there's tension in the family in all those things it seems like we can pray more and so oftentimes Christians use prayer as a tool to seek to fix their world, to make it a better place. But uh, Richard Pratt, in his book, Pray With Your Eyes Open, and I would say this, uh, by the way, if, if you're a person who would like to grow in their prayer life, and you could only buy one book on prayer, I would probably buy this book. Okay, Richard Pratt, Pray With Your Eyes Open. He's one of my professors in seminary. But very he lays out prayer very simply. Uh, and yet he's no biblical slouch. I mean, he takes you to Scripture. The whole thing's just taking you to Scripture over and over and over. But he defines prayer this way. He says, Prayer is a believer's communication with God. A believer's communication with God. And so prayer's not merely speaking at God, like we're asking things of Him and and wanting to go through our prayer list and, and ask for those things. Prayer is much fuller than that. You know, have you ever... Uh, maybe uh, had anybody walk into the room where you were, and they walk in, they don't say anything except, hey, I want you to do this. And you're like, okay, no hello, no how are you doing, no nothing, let's just get down to business, just, you know, I want this. You know, and yet how often can maybe sometimes our prayers come across that way to God? Lord, please heal Rob. Lord, save Joe at work. Bless Kirk of the Plains. And the list goes on and on and on. But what, what, what might it be like, though, if we prayed something maybe more along these lines, where we say, Oh God, you are... And then fill in the blank with whatever description, maybe from the Psalms, or maybe from a hymn that we sang this morning. You know, you just... Focus on who God is, some description of who He is. And then you praise Him. Here again, giving a description of who God is. Maybe from Psalm 92 or Psalm 100 or from Psalm 150. You know, just uh, focusing on who God is. And then to thank Him. Here again, giving a description of what He has done. You know, just praising God and thanking Him for his wonderful work in our lives. You know, I think uh, if we did that, that would already set a different tone than our prayers oftentimes devolve into. And I'm not suggesting these things as in these are steps that you have to take, because I know some of you You're probably like me. You're like, okay, what did Pastor Rick say? What was that again? i got to get this down. And then on Monday, I'm going to sit down and try to go through each one of those and make sure I don't leave out any steps so that I get it just right, so that my prayer life will just be fantastic and stuff. And it just becomes, again, a legalistic thing where I'm more focused on the structure of the prayer than I am in just focusing on who God is. And yet God invites us to come into his presence that we might just bask in who he is and we might give thanksgiving to him for what he has done. And and as we do that, that's what Paul does. As As he's giving this thanksgiving to God, he then prays that God would continue to do the work that he's doing. It might look something like this. Oh Lord, God, we come to you this morning and we praise you, God. For your glorious blessings upon your people. God, we thank you so much for establishing Kirk of the Plains. Lord, you brought this church about with no core group. Nobody. Lord, you just, and you even used a pastor that really wasn't a church planter. Uh, not very confident in his abilities. And yet, Lord, look what you have done. We thank you, Lord, for the way that you have ministered to people. Lord, how you have called people to yourself and people have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the witness that's, that's taken place in Andover because of the work that you are doing in Kirk of the Plains. Oh God, you are so good and you are so gracious. But Lord, we are feeling uh, as a church the restrictions of the facilities in which we're meeting Lord there are ministries that that we desire to do that we can't do because we just don't have the space we don't have the resources Lord to do this. And so Father, we pray for the fast team as as they have been established that you would guide and you would direct them, Father, that they would be able to bring things to our session that they could our our elders could make wise decisions, Lord, and how we could go forward as a church to do the ministry that you've called us to do, oh Lord God, we praise and we thank you. You see how wonderful that is? Rather than saying, hey Lord, we also want to pray for the fast team and we want to pray for, you know, there's just a sense in which when our petitions flow out of our thanksgiving, it, it is a glorious thing. And Paul prays for the request that he does because of the work that he sees God doing, but also because of the need that he sees these Colossians that they have. They are being tempted by the Gnostics and who are speaking of this secret knowledge. And, and they said that if you want to live the Christian life, you need this secret knowledge. And Paul wants them to know that the knowledge of the Gospel is sufficient. That they have come to understand the fullness of the Gospel found only in Jesus Christ. And so Paul prays for the Colossians. But what is it then that he prays? Well, My sermon has one point today, and that is this. He prays that they might be filled with the true knowledge. That they might be filled with the true knowledge. The way he puts it is that he would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, what does Paul mean when he uses the phrase the knowledge of his will that he wants believers to be full of? Well, frequently when we use that term the the uh, will of God it's referring to uh, God's will for maybe our vocation or some other decision that we have to make for the future maybe uh, uh, things like who should I marry or you know what major purchases should I make what job should I take what about moving Lord what do you think about that and and that's typically how we think of it as some futuristic decision that has consequences and we don't want to make the wrong consequences and have to suffer those so we want God to direct us in what the right decision is The, the problem with this kind of thinking though I mean, okay, well let me just stop just a second that's not bad to do that so please don't hear me say don't pray for things regarding the future, okay we have to bring all of our needs before the Lord but there, there are some problems with this kind of way of thinking. And first of all, it encourages us to think of God's will only in terms of what it means for our life. And so in one sense, it's sort of a form of self-centeredness. No matter how pious we try to be when we pray for that, and no matter how much we try to make it sound like, well, I'm just wanting to know what God wants, there is a sense of sort of self-centeredness to that. But, but even worse than that, Uh, it also fails to understand how the Bible speaks about God's will. Turn, if you would, to Psalm 143, verse 10. Psalm 143, verse 10. The psalm that says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Now, to do the will of God in this passage is virtually synonymous with obeying what God has manifested, what God has commanded us in his word. The psalmist doesn't encourage us to find God's will, you know, something for the future, but to, uh, but to do what God has already revealed to us here in his word. Paul likewise writes in Romans chapter 12 I'm, I'm having the privilege of trying to memorize that chapter you can pray for me I'm moving very slowly but Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good, good and acceptable and perfect and and here what Paul is says is, is that as we think Differently, right? As our minds are renewed. He doesn't say it, but he implies by the word of God that both our character and our conduct will change. And it's also this change of mind that equips Christians to test and to approve or to discover personally and experientially that God's ways are the best. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 15, Ephesians 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, in this context here again, he's not talking about so that you can know what's going to happen in the future uh, as an intellectual pursuit, but he's speaking of knowing God's will so that we know how to live even now in a current evil age. In, a, in an age where there's hedonism and laziness and squandering opportunities. He wants these Christians uh, to avoid foolishness and, and to show they understand what the Lord's will is by making, uh, by making the most, really, of every opportunity that they have before them in the society in which they live. And so you can see different ways that, that God uses uh, this term, the will of God. Let me give you just a couple more. Uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, three For this is the will of God, your sanctification. We've talked about that in the past, that God, it's his will. He will bring it about that you be sanctified. But look at 1 Thessalonians 5.16 Maybe a verse you've memorized in the past. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You want to know what God's will is for you? That you rejoice always, you pray without ceasing, and you give thanks in all circumstances. Matter of fact, if you're around Christians who whine a lot and you know are sort of gloomy all the time, sort of those Eeyore type Christians, oh, something's always wrong. You know, you can say to them if you want, you know, I know what God's will is for you, right? That you give thanks in all circumstances. You know? Because the Bible says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Maybe those gloomy Christians are your kids. I don't know. But anyway, (laughs) you can uh, remind them that that that's the case. The point that I want to make is this. that, That in some ways, it's a little ridiculous to seek God's will for your life in terms of future things like jobs or marriage or a move, when, when there's no deep desire to pursue God's will as He has already kindly revealed it in the Word of God. Okay, it's, it's, there's, it's sort of ridiculous to, to seek to know His will when we don't take the time to know the will that He has already given to us in His Word. And unfortunately, there are those who are professing believers who find themselves reading God's Word very casually, maybe reading it very sporadically. And yet, when it comes to those difficult situations in their life, they're coming before the Lord and they are praying and asking Him, Lord, what do you want me to do? Rather than understanding that we are to know uh, His will and His Word. But, But Paul prays here for the Colossians that they might be filled with the knowledge of God's word. Now that word filled is, is an interesting word it's actually in the passive voice which means it's an action that happens to us from outside of ourselves and uh, we know that ultimately that that he's saying that God fills his people, okay with his will. But you might be thinking about that and thinking but now wait a minute, the way that I would be filled with with the knowledge of his will would be if I read the word of God. So what does it mean that God fills us? Well, that's where you have to read the full. I've only read part of the prayer that Paul prayed. He prays that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, wisdom is the ability to accumulate and organize principles from Scripture. It's a sense to understand how what the Bible means and what it is teaching us. It's sort of scripture, interpreting scripture, sort of like we talked about in Sunday school uh, this morning. But then he says also that you might have understanding. And understanding has to do with the application of those principles to our daily lives. What does it mean to, to live according to the word of God in all the decisions that we make throughout the day, and all the things that we do, in our attitudes, in the way that we parent, in the way that we work, in, in the kind of neighbor that we are, in, in, in the, the kind of grocery store we decide to go to, or whatever, you know, it might be, you know, just how are we to live? What does God tell us about these things? And so Paul's prayer for the Colossians is that they would be so filled with the knowledge of God's word that they begin to put together one truth of his word with another, with another, with another, with another, in such a way that they see uh, God's will and how they are to live their lives. Now, as I said earlier, you know, this is God's spirit that does this. We see this in John 16, right? In John 16, uh, verse 7, uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, nevertheless, I, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away for if I do not go away the helper will not come to you but if I go I will send him to you and when he comes he will convict the world concerning righteousness, uh, excuse me concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Okay, but the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus Christ uh, and his special saving grace to us as his, belie- as his children John 17:3. The Holy Spirit does His work in us with the Word of God. Um, a, a book uh, written many years ago, uh, when I was back in college, it was around, uh, it was called The Christian Mind by Harry Blamiers. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. But, but the, what he talks about is how the Christian has, uh, well, let me just read a quote. Uh, it says, this process, excuse me, this idea of the spirit working through the word this produces a Christian mind which in fact is what Paul is praying for a mind as Harry Blamire says which is trained to handle life within a framework constructed of Christian presuppositions you know in, in, in other words our minds have been so trained by the word of God that we are acting and functioning uh, according to God's word and we see this throughout scripture I mean Psalm chapter 1 Verses 1 and 2. I won't read all of it, but it says, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Another verse that a lot of kids learn in vacation Bible school, Joshua 1.8. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. It's that sense of meditating upon the Word of God. And, and, and Paul is praying for these Colossians to, be, uh, to have that kind of mind, that they could understand how they are to live. And, and he especially is motivated to pray this because of his concern, because they're sort of flirting with these Gnostics. They're sort of flirting with syncretism, with pluralism of their day. They know the gospel message, but they're also hearing these false teachers and and they're trying to figure out, hmm, how does this fit together? Do I really need to be maybe listening and learn the secret knowledge so that I can do this and I can please God somehow? And Paul is like, no. I am praying that you would know the will of the Lord so that you could discern between truth and this falsehood and you would know how to live. Because Paul knows that when one tries to reconcile the thinking of the world with what the Word of God teaches, that the tendency is to end up reducing Christ in importance. Christ always is less important whenever we're trying to reconcile with the world. And that's why Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, just the next page over, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. You see, from from Paul's perspective, what these Christians needed, what we need, brothers and sisters, is a, a deep, growing knowledge of Christ and His will. It's of the gr- most importance to us as believers. And uh, we see that in various places in Scripture. But, but Paul wants us to have this. Now, I mean, how else will these uh, Colossian believers withstand the pressures of the pagan culture in which they live? I mean, these are pressures that are not only common, but are oftentimes unidentifiable. They're just not easy to see. And it's the same way in the world in which we live, is it not? We have false teachings all around us that are happening. Things that, you know, uh, people are saying, even in the Christian church, that you listen to and it has all of the Christian language and stuff. But wrapped up in all that Christian language is oftentimes falsehood. And how many times do we get sucked up into that? You see, we have to understand that we have an enemy that understands that the battle is in the mind. And if if Satan can get us to be thinking uh, contrary to Christ, then, then he's tickled, then he's excited, because we are going to live out of the way we think brothers and sisters. And so, you know, uh, parents, I, I would encourage you. I think it's great. It does my heart so much good when I when I see you guys teach your kids, uh, have them memorizing Scripture, or when I hear they're memorizing the shorter catechism and these kind of things. And those things are wonderful. But one of the questions I want to ask, are you watching how they are processing what they know about God's Word? Or are you listening to... To how they're, they're taking that and how does that affect how they, they live their lives. Now when they're little little, that's a little more difficult to see because they usually just do what mommy and daddy wants. But as they get older, especially those of you that have teenagers, you know, spend time asking your teenagers questions. Let them talk. Let the Lord bless you by giving you a picture into the soul of your kids to see what it is that they're truly thinking and and how they're processing those things is there anything that our generation more urgently needs than this than that we would have a that we would be filled with the knowledge of the will of God and all spiritual wisdom and understanding you know some of us if we really think about it we've chased every fad that's come into the church we've been on every bandwagon it's made its way in the door of the church. We've adopted every gimmick that the church has promoted. And then there are those who sit in the back of the church probably and are very confident and smug and say, yeah, well, I have not done that. I've, I've rigidly cherished those things that are uh, of tradition and those things that are uh, of, uh, of old. And, you know, I'm very proud to say I haven't changed much of anything. Well, there's a trap in that too as well. But, but as uh, D.A. Carson said, he says, but where are the men and women whose knowledge of God is as fresh as it is profound, whose delight in thinking God's thoughts after him ensures that their study of Scripture is never merely intellectual and self-distancing, whose desire to please God easily outstrips any desire to shine in public or to promote oneself? Oh, brothers and sisters, we need to hear that. We desperately need meditative and reflective dependence on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Do we not? And that becomes even more apparent and takes on, I think, a greater urgency when we discover the rapidly growing deficiency in Bible knowledge, even within Reformed churches. Um, What kids knew, what... Youth knew what adults even knew uh, many years ago. It, today, it's just a mere shadow. Uh, we can't hold a candle to to many of the things. If you if you don't believe me, go to a used bookstore and find a, a book on Bible quizzes or something that's written in 1926 and read those. You know the questions that were asked and the answers. It's very humbling, you know, and maybe how far we have drifted. And of course, basic Bible knowledge doesn't ensure the kind of knowledge that Paul's talking about. It doesn't. You know, you could, your kids could be the, the, the smartest kids in the world. You could be the greatest theologian in the church. It doesn't ensure that you will have the knowledge. You'll be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. But brothers and sisters, ignorance of the Bible pretty well ensures that we will not be filled with the knowledge of God's will that consists in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Because the Bible is the focal place where God has graciously disclosed His will. You see, the church in the West has squandered the knowledge of God and in its place it's become fascinated with techniques and with fads. And so no wonder this is something for which we must constantly pray. You know, it's just as needed today that we pray this for one another as it was in Paul's day with the Colossians. It it is to our great shame if we have not constantly been praying along these lines. A few things are probably more urgent for the church today than to be bringing this request to God that he might make it a reality in each and every one of our lives. You know, it's interesting, this year at Twin Lakes, when I went there, uh, the the main speaker uh, was speaking, and he was talking about uh, a situation where he was around a a bunch of uh, young people, uh, teenagers and stuff, and he said, so I did what any self-respecting adult would do. He goes, I eavesdropped. I wanted to hear what they were talking about. I wanted to hear what they were saying. He this man is a he's a seminary, he's a chancellor of a seminary, he's raised in the PCA, son of the South, you know, all just great lineage, you know, and stuff. And he's like, I just want to hear. And he goes, These were kids, these were not unbelievers, these were kids who were raised in solid churches. These were kids who were raised in the PCA. He said some of these kids had the best preachers and pastors. That, that are alive in the PCA today. And he said, but as he listened to them and what they said and when they talked about cultural things and what the Bible says, he said, I quickly came to realize they don't believe what we're preaching. They don't believe it. They're talking as much like the world as what the world is. He said, they've come from strong families. Where the gospel was preached and it was faithfully taught. But he realized they didn't believe it. Brothers and sisters, it's not just our kids. How much have we been affected by the world and the things that the world says? And have we bought into those half truths and those things that the Bible, or excuse me, that the world says ought to be priorities rather than what the Bible says? You know, I I oftentimes think, You know, one day I will stand before Jesus and I'll have to give an account for my life. And I think, you know, as as an American Christian, I feel okay with my life. I'm like, I feel very committed to the Lord and stuff. But I thought, when I stand before Jesus in light of eternity, and as he, you know, stands there and I think about his kingdom and what was really important, Will I see things differently and will I have regrets to think, Lord, really did I give myself, did I pray that I would be filled with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding? Typically, we pray for ourselves or for others, for physical uh, well-being, health, social relationships, all kinds of things. But part of our intercessory prayers ought to be praying That we would have the true knowledge that God gives us in Jesus Christ. Is that how you pray for others? Is that how you pray for your pastor? If not, please do. He needs it. Is that how you pray for new believers? Is that how you pray for your family? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for your word that you have given to us. God, we thank you that you give your word, yes, sometimes to rebuke us, but always towards the hope of of turning our hearts to obedience. Lord, that we would honor you and glorify you. And so, Father, we, we would pray that as we walk away, that we would be encouraged to pray for one another. Knowing, Lord, that you uh, desire to answer this prayer uh, in each and every one of our lives. Uh, Lord, we just thank you so much that uh, the answer to this prayer is even a possibility for our lives, that this is exactly what you do in the life of Christians. And I would pray, God, that we would be filled with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Uh, God, that you would transform us Uh, by the renewing of our minds that we may test what uh, what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We thank you and pray this in your name. Amen.